Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Turn Left. I am your host, Indiana's own Dana Black, coming to you live. Yes, all the way live from Black Girl Studios, where we talk about Indiana politics from the left side of things. Woo, it's been a long weekend, y'all. I ain't gonna lie, I'm a little tired, but I'm also a little bit more energized. We were down in French Lick connecting and learning and growing and supporting Democrats from all non-congressional non districts, you know, as many counties that could show up. I'm telling you, it was it was almost like pre-pandemic IDEA. Not quite, but it was real close. And I tell you what, it was amazing to be able to fellowship with Democrats and feed off of each other and inspire each other to be better. Cause I'm telling you, I got a chance to hang out with some amazing folks, folks that I hadn't had a chance to get to know. And I am super excited about who we are as a party. I'm excited about who we are with our candidates. I think 2022, we're gonna surprise some people and it's gonna be a lot of fun, right? Before we get started though, you know, I, I, I apologize for the Thursday that I did not get to come on the show because some clowns in first class decided that they wanted to be extra clownish. And so my flights were delayed and canceled and all of that good stuff. So I didn't get back to Indianapolis in time to interview who I have on tonight as a special guest. So I apologize to the viewers who were looking forward to that and had that on your calendar, but I have her here tonight. And also, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since uh, we had that special, special session and I don't know if you guys are lucky enough to, you know, either go watch the special session on YouTube or watch it live, but I want to send a shout out and a special thank you to every Democratic legislator that serves in that state house. They were verbally abused by the right for two weeks. They were called everything but a child of God in those two weeks. And I believe a lot of them are going to need a little therapy because I know I probably should go because I have never witnessed the blatant disrespect that we watched over those two weeks. And our legislators held it together. They performed admirably and they argued and they argued vehemently for the protection of women's reproductive rights. We knew it was going to be a hard slug and that we needed to pull some of those Republicans on our team to, to vote the, that SB1 down. We didn't get enough of them, but there were a few Republican women who, you know, talked about how terrible this piece of legislation is and how the law will have unintended consequences. We're going to see women die. We're going to see young girls be traumatized over and over again, a, a notarized affidavit? Are you serious? The pure dismissal of a woman and her right to decide what happens to her body. See, the part that gets me is people act like everybody wants or believes that everyone should have an abortion. That's not it. That's not it. Frankly, I don't ever want anyone to have to have an abortion, but that's not my choice. I am a pro-choice person. I believe whatever happens to your body is your business. And I'm gonna fight like cats and dogs, right? To protect it. But if we really wanna stop unwanted pregnancies, why don't y'all do something with those men who keep on raping women unprotected? See, if we do something about that rape culture, we might reduce the number of needed abortions. 
But y'all want to talk about that. <laughs> y'all don't want to hold the men accountable who are violating women's bodies and little girls' bodies. Y'all don't want to do that. And then there, there are people who want to pass legislation in other in other parts of the country for folks to have to take DNA tests to make sure it's not their boyfriend or husband's child, like a boyfriend or husband is incapable of rape. Hmm. The pure dismissal of a woman's right to choose and body autonomy is atrocious. But if we want to make a change and fix all of this, then we, we need to make sure that we elect the right people. I was ranting uh, and I was thanking our elected officials for fighting for us. And that's where I'm going to leave it. So let me read some news to you. Uh, first up, the Indiana Republicans on Saturday picked Rudy Rankum to replace U.S. Rep. Jackie Walorski on the November ballot after Yankum won the endorsement of the late Indiana Congresswoman's husband. Now, look, if he's anything like that last one, and listen, I'm not going to talk ill of the dead because she's dead. I'm sorry about that. And I hope her family is okay and, and is healing and finding peace in that. But y'all, we need to get with Paul Steery, who was running in the second district as a Democrat. That's who we need to support. We need to make sure that we turn out, turn up and turn out for him. Because I don't care if it was Jackie or whoever else that other red person is that's running on as a Republican. We need to flip that seat. All right. So congratulations for winning your primary. But we as the blues, we about to take y'all down. We about to work hard to get rid of you. The AP reports Indiana Republican governor met with Taiwanese president on Monday, following two recent high profile visits by US politicians that drew Beijing's ire and Chinese military drills that included firing missiles over the island. Governor Holcomb arrived Sunday evening in Taiwan for a four day visit that will focus on economic exchange, uh, particularly in semiconductors, according to a statement from the office. You know, I, I ain't mad at the governor for going out trying to find a way or a means to bring businesses, but we already know that typically the, the jobs that he's looking to bring to Indiana are low paying jobs, low wage jobs. Do what you do. My thing is, are the Republicans gonna go off on Governor Holcomb for going over to Taiwan like they did Speaker Pelosi? Are they gonna go all the way in on him for pissing off and making the Chinese mad? Probably not. So don't, don't wait on it. Don't wait on it. Um, some fossil fuel news I want to read to y'all real quick. Bloomberg reports Centerpoint Energy is delaying retirement of a coal-fired plant in Indiana as a surge of wholesale electricity prices and uncertainty about some renewable projects undermines President Joe Biden's push to decarbonize the grid. Centerpoint plans to keep operating the 90-megawatt Coley two-unit near the Ohio River until 2025, according to a meeting and presentation on Thursday. That was last week. Previously, the company had planned to shut the facility down in 2023. It's just the latest move by U.S. utilities to prolong the life of fossil fuel assets to address uncertainty about the pace of transition to renewable energy sources. Earlier just this year, Nysource Inc., said it would, would run two coal units an additional two years as a solar trade probe spurred delay in renewable projects nationwide. I wanted to share that because 
as we know, they're talking about down by the Ohio River, which means, you know, that's that Evansville area. Um, Y'all, that Evansville area is a cancer pocket. And we have the most super polluters in a 35 mile radius in that area. That plant should be shut down. If for no other reason, then there's already so many around. And I understand everybody's complaining about renewable energies, but necessity is the mother of invention. And when things don't go well, you, you, you work through them. I don't think that we're ever going to really be without power. We're not Texas. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Did I say that? My bad. There, we're going to have some power. I think that we still should be phasing these things out because, again, people are being harmed by these fossil fuel plants. It's harming the environment. Europe is over there complaining about 90 degree temperatures. People are dying over there in Europe because of, of glo global warming, glo climate change, whatever you want to call it. You know, we saw where there was a river in Europe that had receded so much that we're starting to see uh, sunken hulls of ships. That's real, y'all. I mean, I know a lot of people want to be science deniers, but these things are happening. So y'all keep an eye out on these on these coal plants that are they say they're going to shut down, but they're not. Some good news for some of y'all. <laughs> Fox 59 reports the second round of refunds is already hitting bank accounts for some Hoosiers after the Indiana Department of Revenue said the payments will begin in late August. Lawmakers approved the $200 refund during the special session. The department expected most direct deposits to arrive on or around August 24th. That's in two days. Uh, though some could arrive earlier. The agency provided the information of, the, of about 1.5 million taxpayers to the state's banking information on August 16th to kickstart the process. So for those of you who haven't received your first round, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it don't look like you're going to get no money because if they didn't solve that problem for you to get your first round of money, you're not going to get your second round. It's not about to happen. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. I would get with your representative or your state senator or call the treasurer or the auditor and find out where your money at. But see, while they messing up and not getting those folks the first round, we got people running for office that can fix those things. Okay, third time's a charm. Uh, I tell you what, this must be going to be like one of the best interviews I've ever conducted in my life. Never have I not had a computer be plugged in. Never have I missed a flight and had to spend the night in a, in a strange San Antonio hotel. But this interview must be going to be the bomb interview, probably because it's two sisters. I mean, Indiana may not be ready for two statewide sisters just chopping it up, but that's what we're going to do tonight. I am so I met this this amazing young woman uh, when she said that she was running. In fact, the first time I met her in person uh, was uh, at a pre pride party. And I was actually extremely excited that she was there and she was ready to go. She's a new candidate. I hadn't seen her out in the political space, but here she was hanging out at a pride parade about ready to go pride with us. Then over the weekend, I had the opportunity to really sit down and talk to her and her husband, which I thoroughly enjoy. Met him at the state house, but yo, he's gonna be like my new dog. Like y'all, I'm just saying, he was so cool. I am excited that we have a woman, a black woman, running on the statewide ticket. You guys, it's been too long since we've had a woman on a statewide, a black woman on a statewide ticket. 
We have someone who is more than qualified to be our state's auditor. Please, everyone, welcome to the show, my special guest, Zanae Brooks, candidate for state auditor. Zanae, welcome to the show. Finally. Finally. (laughs) Man, look, I owe you so many apologies for technical difficulties and flight delays. I swear I've been looking forward to this. How you doing? Good, good. It's okay. We'll just just take me to dinner or something. It'll be fine. I, that's easy. That's mm-hmm. easy. Cause see, I you know you don't you don't have to report that because that'll be like just some homies hanging out, right? Right. Exactly. So you know what? You are now. You got your name on the ballot in November to run the statewide campaign. How you feeling? Good. I feel good. We're gonna we're gonna do it. I don't think anybody is really expecting us, uh, but we're making waves. Uh, I've been received very well around the state, and so I'm just like super motivated. I don't get in things that I think I'm gonna lose, so we're gonna do it. That's what's up. So you knew a lot of folks don't know you. A lot of a lot of my turn left listeners have not met you. So tell the people who you are and where you come from. Yeah, so Zanae Brooks, Zanae like Renee with a Z, just, I like to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, tell them um, how to pronounce it, because I was Zanae. corrected on Ariel this weekend, and I loved it. <laughs> tell her, tell people how to say your name right every time, every time. Exactly. Um, so yeah, Zanae Brooks, I was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, but I was raised in Indianapolis, far east side. I went to Warren Central High School. Um my parents were, my dad was in education. My mom was uh, a paralegal. I was very involved in sports um, in high school, like any club. Like I did all the sports. I also did student council, honor society, like all of the things that you're supposed to do. My parents were very intentional about keeping us involved and active and out of trouble. Um, so I ended up getting a scholarship to University of Louisville and ended up majoring in accounting and came out of there a biggie champion, uh, had accounting degree, did two internships and came back to the city and worked at a couple different CPA firms and now work at Cummins. So I've been county finance professional for over 15 years and um, really still have that community service heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband and I pastor a church. My husband pastors. I'm the first lady. I think I'm the pastor sometimes, but he is Ain't really no wrong with it. <laughs> um, but we, um, it's very community focused. It's a missionary Baptist church. And part of the missionary is being um, really intentional about serving the community. And so we take that to heart. So between church and serving on grassroots organization boards and urban league and all of the other not-for-profit organizations very much uh, committed to making the world and our communities a better space. I love that. And and let's talk about that Missionary Baptist Church because I, I grew up at, in Beulah Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, and when, uh, when we were hanging out this weekend, you know, I'm a call and response girl. And, and your husband came over and was like, I need you to come to my church. <laughs> but there's, there's something to service, right? Yeah. Talk about your upbringing and in, in in the church, if you were, and and why it's so important to you. Um, the lessons that you learned while you were in church. Yeah, I grew up in the church. Um, I was an usher, so I guess even in Fort Wayne, my uncle was a pastor, and so we were in church. You know, 
whenever we were supposed to be, not every day, but on the weekends and all that. Moved to Indianapolis. Um, I was involved in all the youth activities. Uh, once I got more active in sports, we weren't at church as much during the week, but on Sundays we were at church. And then as I got older, I became an usher. So I was a, on the junior usher board and then we didn't have enough ushers on the junior usher board. So I got promoted to the senior usher board. And then I was president of the senior usher board and like in high school. So like 60 and 70 year old ladies were like, I think you got the energy. You can tell us what to do. So I just always have been like thrusted into leadership. Like that was, that was the beginning of that. Um, and it sounds so like then, my upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was fine. Um, I got a joy out of telling them what to do and telling people where to sit and uh, running the service a little bit. And then I went to college, probably didn't go to church as much as I should when I was in school. Um, but I came back and jumped right back into being an usher. And I was a trustee because um, my pastor said, hey, you got your accounting degree, really need you in the business office. And so I did those two things that me and my husband met at my home church. And so when he um, started pastoring, I went to like two church services for the entire time that we were dating because I was still an officer at my own church. And, mm -hmm. uh, but my pastor said, well, you still need to go over to his church so people know that, you know, he got somebody. He's not single, single. Right. Uh, right. So I was doing that. Um, but I just firmly believe that you should use your skills, your professional skills inside the church. Um, so that's why I've always been on the business side, because that's what my expertise is. But I also believe that you should represent the church outside of the building as well. So I try to carry all of that with me all the time. I think that's important. And so one of the one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you about um, your, your spirituality and, and your love of your church is because that other side seems to think that they have, you know, a hold on religion a hold on uh who who is the most religious and talk about talk about why you i don't know if you are i'm always offended when i hear like they the only ones that got religion you know and you just got through mentioning how you are representing your church outside of church but but being a religious person doesn't necessarily mean that you believe everybody thinks should be thinking the same way right Right. It, it is very offensive. And I, you know, um, studying with my husband and, you know, being a preacher, sometimes we talk about this being defenders of the faith. And I really feel like, especially the past couple of years, we have had to be defenders of the faith and of the church. I get very offended when people even criticize or talk bad about the church because most of churches are doing the right things, but mm -hmm. the loudest noise, um, comes when you know one person messes up and now that's an indictment on the full church and so i'm very offended by that it is also offensive for people to act like they are the face of what being a christian or a person of faith looks like mm -hmm. and, and using that to basically oppress people or condemn people or restrict people's rights or make policy which is like the opposite of what we should be doing as people of faith and in we, when you um, think about the Bible and when Jesus would go and criticize the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was the spiritual leaders and the religious leaders who were doing the same thing now then that the Republicans are doing now. Mm. And so me and my husband talk about that all the time. Like it's not, it's nothing new, 
But to see people do it now is very offensive. So we have to be even more bold to talk about, no, this is what the Bible actually says. We should love people and we should extend grace. And you can minister to people, but people have the right to choose and do whatever they want to do. Um, and Christianity didn't start here in America. What? <laughs> so, so many different faiths and belief systems and Muslims and Jewish people and atheists and just Mormons, like everything else. And, and it's just uh, crazy how we have used Christianity to really um, make policy that are in line with um, basic human rights. It's, it's frustrating. And, and, and it sounds like you know within your faith how to separate out your religious beliefs and policy making. Yes. I mean, when people say separation of church and state, I think that's, that's specific where it is, like the government part and policy making. Um, so I, I feel like there is that separation, but the basic principles of any faith when it comes about caring for people and advocating for people and loving people, that should that should be innate in everybody, whether you are a person of faith or not. Like that's what policy and government is supposed to do. I love that. I love the way you 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 meld all that together. So you know, we we elect we elect um, at our convention our you know secretary of state, our treasurer, and our auditor. Can you tell me that feeling when you got recruited to be our candidate for state auditor and 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 what that was like for you? Yes. Um, at first, I said no. I do not want to do this. <laughs> hmm. And really, that was out of um, not really understanding what the role was and how important the role is. Um, I was approached multiple times, and I, I will give credit to the party for being very intentional about seeking a, a diverse ticket. So they had reached out before because I'm also president of the uh, central region president of the National Association of Black Accountants. Okay. So they had reached out plenty of times like, hey, do you have any, you know, diverse people, you know, interested in government and honestly the, the answer is always no because government don't pay anything nope. really <laughs> when you nope. think about people that have been working you know in cpa firms and have made it to a certain point in their career um so they came back again and you know state senator shelly yoder down in bloomington Monroe County said, what I meant to say is, will you do this? Like, we need you to do this for us. And, and she'll said, make you, you know, think you can walk to the moon, man. That one, I, I mean, she was recruiting me to, to run for, uh, woman, I can't walk to the moon. And she'll make you feel very, like you very, can. Very much. I was on the phone with her for uh, probably two hours. And I said, girl, okay, like, let me think about it. Like, <laughs> and so it was very much that conversation. But then she said, let me connect you with a couple other people who have run for this position before, have a little more, because I just had read it on the website. And I'm like, that doesn't sound that exciting. And I've been very intentional about my career and doing things that I'm technically skilled to do them, but I have to care about it. So that's right. how I found myself like at the foundation or in corporate responsibility or, you know, doing not-for-profit audits. Mm -hmm. So aside from the technical part of the role, there is some power in the role. And when you think of it from a large scale, being able to really affect how money is reinvested back into communities and to really be able to affect change at a larger scale, I thought, well, well, yeah, like I could totally do this. 
And who would who is actually more qualified to do that when I've been doing this for my entire career? Right. And so this role puts everything together. Um, so I made up my mind actually pretty quickly. I didn't have that long of a time actually to make up my mind before I had the paperwork. Um, so I'm telling my husband about it. And he's like, I think you already decided. He was like, I need more time to think about it. But for me, I just felt like once I really digested it, it was, and I said this, um, I think Saturday when um, we had the Dig in Your Hills event, it's really standing at, at, the, in the, at the point of, preparation meets opportunity meets purpose. Mm. And so now it's not hard for me to make a decision say, yeah, I can do this. Because when I think back of all of my career, my experiences, the things that I care about, it's the logical next step. Oh, that makes sense. And you know what? I have been so impressed um, talking to you. By the way, if you guys like what she's talking about, make sure you click on her donate link. It is right there for you to click on. You know me. We need to raise those dollars for these statewide candidates. And tonight it's Danae Brooks. So make sure you donate to her campaign. You know, talk about, for a lot of us, we don't know what the state auditor does. I know I really don't. Um, I'm more into the, the policy making side of politics. What is a state auditor? What do they do? Yes. So the state auditor is the CFO for the state. Oh. So a couple of things, which I don't know why they call it an auditor. Now, in some states, it's different. Some state auditors do actually perform audit, audits of counties or organizations. In Indiana, the state board of accounts does that. Okay. The Indiana state auditor is the CFO for the state. So okay. oversees literally the accounting and finance yeah. functions paying the bills, um, paying employees, overseeing the um, deferred comp plan for employees, um, internal controls, financial reporting, all of that jazz. Um, the other part, the power part is it sits on the state board of finance. So it's okay. the auditor, the treasurer, and the state budget director. State budget director is appointed by the governor, auditor and treasurer are elected positions. This committee is basically an extension of the legislature. So okay. the state budget director and their department and the legislator really come up with the budget, right? Okay. When they're not in session, this committee meets monthly and approves or denies money that is transferred between different agencies. Oh. So even so, after the legislature puts together the budget and it gets passed and it gets signed, there still can be some items that are removed from that budget? Well, not so not not so much removed, but transferred. Transfer. So an agency, they don't look like they're gonna spend all the money. They may contract or have an MOU with another organization. Say, so we'll give you the oh, money. Wait, wait, what's an MOU? You throwing out acronyms? <laughs> a memo of understanding. Okay. So they have a contract basically with another organization to perform the service. So, or one or you, we have budgeted or appropriated, it's an accounting term, a government accounting term, but we've appropriated this state agency to receive this many dollars to do this thing. Well, if they don't look like they're going to spend it, or we maybe want to put it somewhere else, we transfer it to a different agency. Okay. 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 And right so now, do you, everybody you... of the same party moving that money around, there's no checks and balances in there. So, I need you to say that again, because I was interrupting you. Say that last part again. Right now, everybody that's moving money around is of the same party. There's no checks and balances. Mm. And There's so when nobody we see in there, in my opinion, that represents the community, 
nobody in there that's holding somebody accountable. Like we gave you this money. What are you doing with it? Mm. Okay. So, mm, and see, you actually are, are bring. you're making me think about some things because basically we don't even know um, if, if someone shouldn't have received extra funding or should have received extra funding because these people are all making their backroom deals. Like I'm gonna put this in my budget, but I'm really gonna give it to you. I mean, anything could be going down. I'm not saying it is. Correct. Mm, yeah, I didn't know that. Not saying it is, but there is opportunity. I will say that a, minutes from these meetings where money gets approved or denied to be moved around are available on the auditor's website. Okay. So, but it's very vague. It may just say, you know, $1.2 billion was moved from this agency to this agency to perform this service. Okay. So, so why, why is it so important? that we understand um, how the auditors um, are allowed to move money around? Because when we think about, um, for example, not to use like nerdy accounting language. Use nerdy. My buddy, Crystal uh, Allen, she's loving yeah. this conversation right now. Yeah, I, I know Crystal. She's That's my best friend. Really? Yeah, she's got, you know, one of the only Black-owned CPA firms. A total solution. Indeed. I think there's maybe two or three and she's got one of them. So yeah, I like Crystal. She's part of NABA too. Um, yeah, it's, it's important. To, so what I try to tell people in the most simplest terms is that if you run a business, if you run an organization, a church, a school, anything, one of the most important roles is your CFO, like your accountant person mm -hmm. to understand like how the business is doing, what's the health of the organization, where are we spending our money, blah, blah, blah. Same thing with the state. Like, okay. it's important to know where the money is going, how it's being spent. Are there controls? Is there, you know, a voice to reason or some accountability in there to make sure we're spending, you know, um, appropriately? So the state has this $6 billion surplus. Mm -hmm. What is the state going to do with that? And does the state auditor have the final say in that? No, like I'm not going to sit here and say that this role has the power, but there is an opportunity to, to use this seat to add voice to that. Okay. And um, there's influence there. There's influence there. And I think this is an opportunity to elevate this position in a way that it's never been used before. I think so too. I mean, I, I here as of late, I've started to um, understand the importance of a CFO. Um, I don't know what Crystal does. And she talks about going to accounting conferences and I'm like, so that's supposed to be fun? It is fun. <laughs> we work and then she hard, says, we work hard, we play hard. Yeah, she says that about me when I wanna go to an IT conference. So here, here we go, but that, that's, exactly. that's, that's just friends. Um, exactly. and, and so the marriage of having to understand what it is to be a CFO and manage budgets and politics. How does, I mean, cause this is, this is not an appointed position. How have you been able to have the conversation or what is the conversation like that you're having to peep with people you're asking to vote for them? And most people don't even know what an auditor does. What kind of conversations are you having? Yeah, it's the same thing. Like, it's exactly what I just said. I was talking to a guy from um, a board that I'm on and he was like, uh, you know, I was trying to convince him to host an event for me. And he said, well, you got to tell people why it's important because people really don't care. It's not really that powerful of a role. I'm like, sir, okay, I'm the treasurer of your board. Would you say that this is an important role? 
And he's like, oh yeah, you know, super important. Like, you know, I come to you for business decisions and strategy and da da da. I'm like, so is that not the same thing, right? And so that's what we're talking about. Okay. Accounting, finance is essentially the language of business. That's how we talk about it. You can look at your financial statements to figure out the health of your organization. In this case, the health of your state, what you're investing in, mm-hmm. what do you care about, um, the longevity of your association. When we think about this $6 billion surplus, how are we going to use that to affect the lives of people? Okay. When we think, when we know, and you may know these stats more than I know, the state of Indiana ranks lower in a lot of things. Absolutely. Food access, we're at the bottom of the barrel. Education, healthcare, especially for black and brown communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're okay with infrastructure, that, but our water is very bad. So there is a lot of ways that we can reinvest this money back into communities. I think the criticism is of our state is that we've used a lot of our surplus to pay down the state's debt or reinvested it to have a better credit rating. But our people are suffering because we're not investing back into the people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, our, I mean, we already know that we have a teacher shortage because we are not funding uh, and paying our teachers what they deserve after we've scared them to halfway death with crazy mouth breathe. Uh, Dana, don't say that. Good old boys yelling and screaming at them. I, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to be better. But the go- <laughs> like the governor just said, okay, we're going to invest $111 million in literacy. Like last week, he, he came out with that. Is that something that would go through your office? Like, you know, is that a conversation you would have with the governor? Um, I don't know. I think that, you know, that will come through state budget director. Okay. Um, ultimately, the payments come out. Uh, but like I said, I have never been in a position where I haven't added a voice. Okay. And I believe if you remember when uh, Michelle Obama was here a couple years ago, and she said, if you're at the table, um, people should know you're at the table. Yeah. Don't be at the table saying the same thing as everybody else. Uh, if you are, then what is the point of you being there? And I was like, yes, sis, like that's what I've been doing. Like I try to make my presence known. So regard, my point is saying that is regardless if I, if it's under my purview or not, I'm going to have something to say about it. Cause that's just how I am, especially when it comes to finances. And ultimately when I say paying the state's bills, paying the employees, paying the vendors, a lot of that does come through the state finance, the state um, auditor's office as the final step. I like that. And I like that you're taking that stance and it, it sounds like, you know, you exude confidence in your knowledge of being a CPA, but also just in your person, right? Because we, you're right. We see a lot of people who get in positions um, and they're just placeholders or paperweights, you know, and I, I know personally that I've, you know, I've asserted myself and, you know, they try to slap your hand, but I move it away. Cause I tell them I'm grown. <laughs> you know, you tell people you grown, you know, sometimes, yeah. you know, but that's good. And I love that attitude that, about I'm going to be in the room and I'm going to make a statement. So as right, because what else are we doing there? Like if we're not thinking up on behalf of ourselves and our communities, what is the point? Like exactly. you're, you're, it's really disrespectful. I said this the other day. It's disrespectful to hold a position of power and not do anything to affect change in your communities. And the fact that you actually recognize it's a position of power. A lot of people yeah. don't, even, don't even recognize it's a position of power because it's the auditor, right? Mm-hmm. And, and when you think about being a, a woman 
a person of color, a, a black person, and then a black woman, because I have to put all that in there. What does it mean? And how, how, how are you feeling on the inside knowing that you are representing a lot of people and your representation matters? How, how have you been dealing with that? It's still sinking in um, to say that November 8th, I could be the first black woman to ever be the state auditor is like crazy that we're even still having first black woman anything. Mm -hmm. um, so it's still it's still um, sinking in, but I don't take it lightly. Right. So when people say like, you know, how does it feel like it's a responsibility? Right. Just like it's a responsibility to be the first lady of our church, just like it's a responsibility to be, you know, an older sister or the captain of a sports team or any position that I've, you know, I've had. Um, I, I don't take it lightly. So it's very important and represent representation does matter. So when I think about my career and having advocated for people of color to have a seat at the table in the accounting finance profession for over 15 years this is the same thing mm -hmm. when we look at our state house there are some women of color there are some people of color but we don't have enough people in there because we got this super majority on the other side mm. and then there's there's so few of us in there it's a deterrent for other people to come along mm. so if i can be in there in my specific skill set and encourage somebody else who's young or black or brown or a woman or just different to say, you know what, I can do that too. And I'm willing to use my skill set to help people. Then that's what it's really all about. That's really what we should be doing. If we get enough people to come in, then we can really affect change. And I'm fine with being the trailblazer for that. You know, and I, I think that's interesting. You bring up an interesting point. Sometimes we don't want to be in a space because there's not a lot of us there, but if we don't kick the doors in, that there's no, then we won't ever be there. And then we will, policy will always be happening to us versus yeah. us happening to policy. I Somebody like that said, Well, don't just let people, you know, don't just be the token. Don't just let people use you to get the black vote. I'm like, why not? What, <laughs> what are we talking about? Like we need more black people in this space. So oh, yeah. they, they always, for a little bit, then that's fine. I'm not going to forget who I am. Like I recognize in a lot of spaces, I am the token and I check a lot of boxes right off. Like I check black, I check being a woman. You check another one, right? And so like Man. sometimes we just, we check all the boxes so they kill multiple birds with one stone and that's fine if we continue to create space and path for the people coming behind us. So I'm fine with using whatever it is, my platform to create space for other people. Absolutely. And you know, we also do it without fear. Right. I, that's, I think that's the other thing. People are afraid to do something because no one else has done it before, but it's like when you really feeling it and it's really something that you really want to do, who cares what they think about what you're trying to do? You don't need permission to serve your community. You right. just don't need it. You know? Right. So I'm loving that. And you, and one of the things I noticed um, at IDEA when we were doing our training classes, um, you got to look, you, you got one of them looks. Yeah. My mama used to have it. My, you got like I was, I wanted to call on you a couple of times. I was like, I'ma wait till she gives me the okay look to call on her. <laughs> Ain't nobody finna mess with you. <laughs> I'm trying to get better about the look, but no, no. Sometimes they need it. 
No, no, keep the look because sometimes they need to know it. They, they need to feel it like I felt it. That way they back up off of you when you need them to. Yeah. Right. You know. We're not playing. So tell me how, uh, you know, running for office has been on your life. You are running a statewide campaign. Talk about some of the things you've been doing on the campaign and how it's impacting your life. It has been a uh, significant juggling act. Cause I'm still working full time, right? Oh. Um, I mean, my job is very supportive. So I appreciate that. Um, it has helped me prioritize mm -hmm. things. I think people often feel like, oh, you got too much going on. You got too much on my plate. Not really. I feel like it all aligns. It's just prioritizing what's important. This happens to take precedence at the moment. So I've been able to kind of shift or delegate or something just not important right now. Right. Um, so like I have a blog, I've kept up with that. Some of my NABA stuff as president, I've been able to delegate to my vice presidents. Same at work. I've got a full team of people that are doing things. So as far as the campaign goes, I do have a team. I have um, Arielle Brandy out of South Bend, who is my campaign and senior advisor. Um, Farron Jones is uh, my campaign manager. Heather Savage is my sister. She's my campaign manager. So we got a team of people that are helping kind of run this show. My sister does my scheduling. Farron oversees a lot of the committees and makes sure people are doing what they're supposed to do. And Ariel tells me who I need to talk to, how I need to do it, keeps us going track because she's been around this thing for a lot, a long time. Um, so I've been traveling the state. I've been to Lake County a couple of times, um, Maryville, Cherville, Gary. Um, I've been to South Bend. I've been to Elkhart. I've been down to Evansville, New Albany, Jeffersonville, going back down to Evansville next week and some other counties kind of mm -hmm. in, the, in the middle. I, um, I've been everywhere. Um, I'm really also though trying to hit non-traditional spaces. Okay. I, what do you I mean non What are non-traditional spaces? Yep. So there are some things that the party does or that people do every year because it's part of the political thing. We're going to do the town halls and those mm -hmm. people are going to come because they are engaged in politics. They're going to vote. They want to hear who the candidates are. Fine. Um, I'm going to go to visit, you know, Hoosier Women Forward events or whatever township events. I need to go to places that there are people there who haven't been talked to in a while, who are disengaged voters, who feel like their voice doesn't matter. Mm. Um, I need to go into churches, but we always go into church. I need mm. to go into them differently to re-engage people. I need to go... Um, and so just like different community spaces, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, we have to get people out to vote. And there, what I've heard is that there are several counties and pockets of the state that feel just forgotten because yeah. Yeah, that's, nobody that's true. has been talked to them. That's true. I, I felt that too when I, when I was the deputy chair. And sometimes just, you know, when, when you're representing the party, just showing up for an event, they were ecstatic that somebody from the party knew that they were there. So I'm, I applaud you for, for doing that because every voice matters. And I'll be honest, I, you know, I, I, I think it's fine that we go into churches if that's what you feel like you need to do. But unfortunately it seems like, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. And if I, if you feel differently, let me know. But I feel like sometimes politicians think the only way they can engage black people is going to their church. 
Not every right. black person goes to church. Right, right. I mean, and, I, I'd rather see you go to the barber beauty shop. Yes, yes. There's that. Um, like out this weekend, I was at the gospel uh, explosion at the Indiana State Fair. Mm-hmm. Entire group of people. Um, I went to. We had a black business block party. Um, I'm going to a Latino festival up in Lake County in a couple of weeks. So just different places and pockets of people. I met with um, Kent Yeager a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Kent, uh, the root, our rural and farms director. Yeah, yeah. And he said there are plenty of rural spaces that feel the same way. So I try to tell people, it's just not black and brown communities. There are rural folks. Mm-hmm. In our in our in our state, that just people have just counted out, mm-hmm. and this community has felt disengaged because one, they are very religious people, but they don't believe what you know the Republicans are saying. Yeah. But then they also care about water and infrastructure and education and healthcare because some of those communities are deserts for a lot of these things, mm-hmm. but nobody goes to talk to them. Mm-hmm. So, okay, well, you know, I got to talk about some issues, right? Because we want to, yeah. we, you know, yes, you're an auditor and yes, you know, this, this is not necessarily about, you know, making policies, but, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of heavy issues, um, uh, that are surrounding us right now. So let's, let's talk about, um, that, 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 that two week, uh, special session we had and, uh, the, the, the bills that were passed, um, specifically, um, the anti-choice bill. What were your thoughts and feelings uh, when when that came down? Um, I yeah, <laughs> I think just feeling a frustration from a lot of perspectives. One, you have people in there on the Republican side making decisions that are complete opposite of the people that voted for them. Mm. Majority of people in Indiana said that they did not want this bill, regardless of what they believe. But majority of people at the legislature voted for it. So you're just not listening to the people that you are supposed to represent. That's disrespectful. Um, Two, this shouldn't even be something that we're talking about from a policy perspective. Mm. We have plenty of other um, arguments and battles to fight when we think about funding going into our communities and rights and violence and food access and all of these other things. But we call a special session to take rights away from people. How does that make sense? It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, from the personal, as a woman, as a black woman, one thing that, (laughs) the sad thing is a lot of black people, I feel like this doesn't affect them. Mm. Because black people don't have abortions, which I don't know who said that, but that is not the case. I think like 25% or so of abortions are done by people of color. Um, Our infant mortality rate is very high. Mm -hmm. Black women in Indiana die at a higher rate from giving birth than any other population. Mm -hmm. So now we're forcing people to give birth. And we're not even ha- ha- fully funding healthcare so that when they do give birth, right. they have access to keep them safe. So I-, I was reading the other day that this policy is making it 33% more dangerous for a black person, a black woman to mm. have a baby in the state of Indiana. So I, and I don't, I've never given birth to kids. I don't have kids. I'm cool with kids. I got my nieces and nephews. That's fine. 
But in the event that I did decide to have a kid, it would be 30% more dangerous for me to do so in mm. Indiana. Mm. It's crazy. It is crazy. Wow. That that's a, a unique perspective. I don't have no kids either. My mother told me I was going to give back twice what I gave her. I said, nah, we not finna do that. <laughs> Just like being in somebody's, like, why is it anybody's business? Like, why is it policy on whether somebody chooses to have a baby or not? And then you want to force somebody to have a kid, but you're not forcing the financial aspect of it to make sure that that kid is taken care of. It's really like a pro-birth versus mm -hmm. a pro-life because we're not, we are, I think our foster care system is oversaturated. It our is. adoption care situ situ situation is oversaturated. Our K through 12 is not fully funded. So what, what's going to happen with all these extra kids that we're trying to force people to have? Well, you know, we do need to have a bunch of cheap labor. And since, you know, Indiana ain't really trying to educate <laughs> us for high paying jobs, you know what I'm saying? Listen, let, I mean, I, I like to keep it real. And you don't have to comment on this, you know, because you're the candidate, I'm not. But I just, I find it interesting that you want folks to have, to give birth, but not help provide a, a living wage for them to take care of their kids. Exactly. And then on top of that, you are harassing teachers to the point where the class sizes have increased. I was talking to a teacher at IDEA and she was like, you know, I used to have 135 students for the whole year. Now I'm up to over 150. You know, and that makes a big difference. That means my class sizes are bigger and I can't get as much stuff done. There's no, there are no uh, uh, substitute teachers, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. And I want to stick with education for a minute because you said your parents were educators. You know, Indiana's education uh, is going in the wrong direction to the point where they got to give $111 million for literacy. Mm -hmm. Talk mm -hmm. about how you see public, uh, well, let me say, I say public education, but talk about how you see education and where do you think the role of public education is uh, when it comes to making sure that we have uh, well-prepared young people for the next generation of whatever's coming our way? Um. Yeah, my dad was an educator. Um, he retired from Lawrence North as a oh. dean. He was my first uh, kin uh, kindergarten te gym teacher. Oh, and then uh, he worked his way, and then eventually uh, got his admin license. And then my husband, who's a pastor, but he also works in Lincoln Middle School in Pike Township. Oh. He they don't have deans there, but he does discipline and runs their Young Men of Purpose program. So we talk about education a lot, and. To me, our education system is very fractured, mm. especially in Indianapolis, where you have public schools, you have this influx of charter schools, you have these private schools, there's school choice. It's just like kids just, it's, and none of these are really working together in a simple way, in a seamless way to benefit the children. Mm. But th that's not, that's not new. And that's not what really was contributing to like our kids not being educated. Cause some of these studies go back 10 or 15 years. Right. And you just, our schools just don't have the funding that they need to pay teachers to have appropriate after school care and activities. Um, and I think as we continue to see, we, I don't think we've seen the effects of that yet. Mm -hmm. We think about what they say, like 9% of people of color, kids of color are reading at the appropriate level. Mm. Like nine? Nine. That's the, that's, that's, the number, that's the total population of black folks in Indiana. Right. 
and that's that's black and brown wow that's scary so so it is scary so we're not it but i think if we look at the state budget you know a lot of the budget goes to education so again when it comes to holding these agencies accountable where is that money going where Mm -hmm. do we put money into if it's not making sure our teachers have the certifications that they need or have the supplies that they need that you know kids are learning in the best environment that's safe for them Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't think that we've seen the effects of what this means wow yeah, but I, our teachers are seeing it, and our and a lot of, we're losing a lot of good teachers because mm-hmm. they're frustrated with the fight, and I don't think we've seen the effects of that yet either. Oh God, no! I, I think it, it's going to be so bad, um, and and again, we're going to lose out on a lot of op, uh, economic opportunities in our state because for some reason these people have yet, you know, they can put together the importance of having a billion dollars in their campaign funds to get elected. But they don't understand the correlation of funding schools and the successes that kids will have because in our suburban and well-funded schools, the 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 attainment rates are much higher. In our underfunded schools, not as much. And then it's it's frustrating. So I want to go ahead. It's even more expensive as we think about going into higher education mm-hmm. and four-year universities, and you know. We, we turn our nose down our community colleges, but they, you know, a lot of the, the professors at these major universities teach at community colleges too. And community colleges have great education where kids aren't, you know, having to rack up a lot of debt. Um, so mm-hmm. it's just, we're not just, we're not thinking about education in the right way. Right. And that's why Indiana is like last in education. Right. And I, th- I don't think we're doing our apprenticeship. Pro- I know the unions are doing the best they can to attract young people to apprenticeship programs, but I think we should. there should be a further state emphasis because the bottom line is we still gonna need plumbers. We still right. gonna need carpenters. We yep. still need electricians because yep. I'm not doing that's, none of that's that. That's another group of people that we are, as politicians are like not listening to. Mm-hmm. And there's been, you know, policy that, goes into place that tries to restrict the rights of our labor union mm-hmm. and um, doesn't want to pay equal wages. Wages. I was talking to a guy in Prince Lick and he was saying how we have, we're putting money into bringing businesses and um, work to Indiana, but we're not encouraging them to hire Indiana workers. Mm. We're getting workers and people from outside of the state so we don't have to use union work and so there's this whole disconnect, and then we're not encouraging people to go and you know get some of these trades. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, because you know that's that's we're a right to work state, you know, and you know they, you know, Mitch Daniels came into office day one was like, I'm not working with unions. <laughs> I mean, but the mm-hmm. idea that you you know people people can't collect the bargain. Like we can't come together and, and, and it keeps us fractured, you know, and, and and they always try to come up with negative things about unions, but I can give you just as many negative things about business owners and bosses. So quit playing, you know, right. quit, quit making it seem like only unions are bad. If, right. if like, think about it, we wouldn't need a union if it had not been <laughs> for the bad bosses. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let's nobody talk about, to, nobody to say that. see, let's talk about, um, 
constitutional carry that was uh, passed. You mentioned earlier um, we have real issues. We have real issues that we should have been discussing and dealing with instead of uh, taking rights away. And you said violence was one of those. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think Chicago gets a bad rap with uh, their gun violence because they have some of the strictest gun laws. But it ain't like going over the border to Indiana to get a gun is hard to do. Okay. And we've seen mass shootings where young people's lives are just, I mean, come on. You know, when, when you hear the story of, of a young girl having her body identified by the tennis shoes that she has on, that's obviously a weapon that don't nobody need. Right. You know, what are your feelings on sensible gun legislation and this recently passed constitutional carry? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't claim to be an expert on any of these no, things, but you don't have to be. common sense to me says it should be difficult to carry a gun in public and it should be difficult. You, sh I don't know that we should be allowed to have machine guns or rifles or assault weapons. Like I'm just, that don't make sense to me why anybody would need one. So any type of law that makes it so it's easier to carry guns in public, I think it's dangerous. I think it's even more dangerous for, um, I feel like I keep talking about communities of color, but underrepresented communities and communities of color are typically on the, on the worst end of all of these things. It affects us so much worse. Um, when you we live it, you live it. It's different when you live, you live it. it. And we see it and we see our people that are already profiled and um, antagonized and people think that we're aggressive and whatever excuse it is. So now if anybody wants to carry a gun and if they think that my husband, who's a black man that fits two, appears dangerous, they can pull a gun on him. And it's, it's okay because I thought he was dangerous and I was protecting myself and it's my right to carry my gun and I don't have a license. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel that I, I don't think we're even thinking about the consequences of this. And I know even like at the fair, I think this week somebody had an assault rifle and it was just like this huge thing. It's just at the fair. Yeah. It's giving people a license to do these things that are extremely dangerous when we already got a problem with mass shootings in this country. No other country has this problem. So why are we making it easier for people to carry guns? That's causing us so many heartaches and so many, so much unnecessary death. Man, that's crazy at the fair. Only thing you're supposed to bring to the fair is some cash so you can eat all that I junk. Mean, that's right. it. <laughs> and, right. and, and those plugs, I can't stand the smell of them animals. I swear I can't. Right. I am, I'm a city girl. I can't do the, do the fair stuff. Yeah. All right, one I, last, I think you know one with last... a lot of these things that there are ways that the other party can try to like justify it. And I think a lot of times we, you just have to think about it from the basic fundamental, like what is the effect, like what's really going to happen? And we don't like to talk about that part, mm -hmm. like what's really going to happen? What type of activity are we empowering that yeah. can be a danger to society? Yeah. I'm with you on it. They they don't they are looking short term or this is what's gonna get votes if I do this. I mean, Jim Lucas, God bless his heart, 
is such an idiot. You know, um, he, you know, again, made derogatory statements against the, the Jewish community. And it's like, and then he wants, he acts like he don't realize what a bigot he is. Like he don't realize, but, th but these are the unintended consequences of your behavior. So in his yeah. instance, he, he literally, you know, outraged an entire community. Yeah. But when it comes to this gun thing, you could literally obliterate Right. an entire community and that's yeah. and that's what these people are doing all right one Thank last you. question because you know my young people uh always talk to me about this because they know that i'm old and cantankerous and i'll be gone soon <laughs> and they <laughs> hey hey look you ain't never seen a dead person come back talking about oh i hate being dead they'd be happy up there anyway uh <laughs> um talk about climate change i mean because uh young people are looking to us well, you're not as old as I am, so there's that. But young people are looking for leadership from us as old old schoolers to protect the planet for them and future generations. Um, talk about the, the where you are with climate, and and again, I don't expect you to know, be an expert at any of these things. Just I'm just trying to get a feel for you. Let the people get a feel for how how you feel about these. Yeah, things. you're asking me all types of stuff. I'm like, good thing I actually like pay attention. Oh, you look like you might read. <laughs> You look like you might read. I'm not, I'm not confused. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. Um, I think to act like climate change doesn't exist is naive. I think um, when you think about the changing of the sea, like it's climate change is a real thing. So I think that, yes, we need to invest in it. I also think that we need to do our part. And so you see a lot of organizations like Cummins that I work with, you see them moving towards like a clean energy, new power initiative. Um, you see investments in water, to clean up water pollution and clean air. Um, I, I definitely think we have to look at what are the longer term effects, effects of some of the some of the things that we're investing in. Um, when you think about the cars that we're driving and how much we're driving and how is that affecting the 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 air quality, um, it's a real thing. So it, even when we think about like what Purdue is doing with the um, wind turbines or whatever, and there's some give and take with it, right? Because the weir the air turbines are supposed to help you know clean energy and power and all of that, but then you know there's a problem with them and birds and bats. And so what do you do? Mm -hmm. I don't think that you can do nothing though. So I kudos to people that are trying to um, have po positive change to, on climate change, but I, I don't know enough to really say what we should do. I just know we can't do anything, can't do nothing and act like it doesn't exist. I love it. You know what, you are a common sense kind of woman. And yeah. as my mama used to say, Common sense ain't so common. So I'm really happy that, you know, real talk, you, you just down. Like when I, I didn't know when I, when I gave the speech at the, at the convention, if you would be cool with me calling you a sister, but yo, I know now. You, you give the best like intros. I was like, I need, I need to take Dana like everywhere we go to just like <laughs> hype me up oh, no. because like, too, much, like, too much of a good thing can still be bad. <laughs> no, but you know, it's not one, it's not good, easy to talk about yourself. So to have somebody else do it in an exciting way, because I'm not always the most exciting. Like I'm, you know, I'm no, a you're a CPA. Person. I'm teasing. Yeah, that's it. Um, 
And, you know, I can be a preacher sometimes, but I'm still not like my husband is very charismatic. I'm a teacher more than anything. Mm-hmm. So um, I appreciate you, you know, hyping me up. So it's um, it's been encouraging. There is one question. I'm kind of looking at the live too. Can we answer that question? Yeah, I can't because I can't. I'm not that talented. Okay, so uh, Tracy said, why do we still live in Indiana or the United States? <laughs> she said, why? Um, and people ask that all the time, but the reality is, like, I've never wanted to leave Indiana for a couple of reasons. Like, I like the convenience of it. I get where I need to go. It's enough people, but not overpopulated. Um, but I think there is still a lot of opportunity in Indiana. We do see um, investments and we see economic growth and we see some good things happening. And I think there is a are a group of people that can really affect change in our communities. We just got to work together um, and get some people, some gatekeepers out of the way. So I'm very hopeful that as a city in Indianapolis, as a state in Indiana, that we can really turn things around. So I am very, I am not, my church is a smaller congregation. I'm not one that leaves to go to the next shiny thing because it's easy and it's already something in place. I'm a builder. I believe that you can build where you are and make things better. So even with our church, I'm like, I'm always looking for people that want to come help us grow something. If you want to come and be entertained, that ain't us. Go to a different church. And so that's how I feel with Indiana. Like there's there's an opportunity here for us to build something and to create space. So that's why I stay. I, I love it. And you know, I stay because Indiana's own doesn't travel very well. I'm just saying. <laughs> Clearly, because you had some bad experiences here. Man, but you know what? I was telling, I was telling your husband, um, you know, uh, we were just kind of rapping. And he did the most loving thing uh a human could do. Um, and this is when I knew, like, this is going to be my dog. Like I I knew he, first thing he says was, you know, I apologize for everything a pastor, how they made you feel if it wasn't Mm -hmm. a positive way. And it was like, it wasn't on him to apologize for what people had said, done said, been said to me, especially, you know, as someone who is a, is a rainbow warrior. And that was just so significant to me this weekend. And, and actually it was at the state house. He said, I can't, it wasn't at French Lick. It was somewhere else. He said it. Cause we done now connected a few times. Mm-hmm. And he, and he said that to me and it just, cause I'll be honest. I, I was real nervous. Cause I, I've had my experiences with male pastors. Women, mm-hmm. women pastors are a little different. Like and maybe it's cause it's the woman thing. Right. But usually, well, especially they're attacked too. They're not always accepted. No, they're not. No, I no, I had one sis. I had a chick one day look me in my face and say, "I don't believe in your lifestyle." What it got to do with you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know the the audacity to think that your opinion about my life matters. But 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 he did that, and and because of a lot of the the negative experiences that I've had with with pastors and my sexuality, it was so refreshing. And I felt his love and I know it radiates between the two of you. And that's why I'm excited about, you know, what you're going to bring to the statewide office. Cause you know, you surround yourself with love. You surround yourself with positive energy. And I know people think I'm weird when I talk about those things, but that's good. Like I don't see darkness as well as I see light. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So mm-hmm. I, I miss when people was trying to mistreat me because I don't see dark. But mm-hmm. I see the light in the two of you and y'all bounce off each other so it just gets brighter and brighter and brighter. So like, I'm, I'm excited about who you are and how you will lead, be a leader in our state, state house. All right, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, physically in Indianapolis off of 86. No, where where can they find your campaign, girl? <laughs> um, my campaign site is uh, votezenae.com, V-O-T-E, Zanae, Z-E-N-A-I.com. I'm on all social media as votezenae. So um, I think my Facebook page is Zanae for State Auditor, but votezenae on everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I need more followers, so please follow me. Um, I'm pretty funny. Um, I have great <laughs> things to say. Um, I'm on LinkedIn too at Zanae Books, my professional um, mm-hmm. profile on there. Yep. And so, do you have any uh, fundraisers or events coming up that people can attend? Uh, yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of things that people can attend. Well, um, they, they can find it on your website, maybe. They can find it on, I, I post it. I'll do an itinerary for this weekend too, because I'll be down in Evansville for a couple key events on Thursday and then circling back up. I'm I'm like crossing the entire state this week. So I'll put an itinerary out there. Um, yeah, so we can I'll find you. So we can, because we want to support you and it takes yeah. a village, right? It takes yeah. a village. And you don't have to like come physically to a fundraiser. People can go to my donate page to donate because I do need money to travel and to send out mailers. Also, if people want to make calls for me or write postcards or walk or canvas in their own community, we need to do that too. And that's what I've been telling people. Like I am one person. I can't get around the entire state. So I'm trying to build an an extension of myself all across to have people be able to speak on my behalf so anybody has any skills or you can just pick up the phone and call or text people we can send you a call list and we can uh put you to work pretty quickly i love it thank that's that's so important volunteers are so important and i really do appreciate you i'm excited for you and we finally got the interview in all right thank you so much for joining hang on just a second before you hang up uh you know guys I know there are a lot of y'all that are like, Liz Cheney, Liz Cheney, Liz Cheney. Well, first of all, she still voted with Trump policies, you know, 90 plus percent of the time. Um, Her and her gay sister really just now starting to talk to each other because she really wasn't down with gay folks. And she really ain't down for none of the things that that we value uh, as people on the the left. So I'm going to need y'all to stop hyping her because she did the bare minimum, which was protect the Constitution. That's the bare minimum. Like, that's... But what are, the reason why I even bring her up, did you see what Wyoming did to her? Her mm-hmm. last name is Cheney. Her daddy shot a whole person in the face while he was vice president and still lived to tell the story about it. In fact, the dude that he shot in the face actually got on a press conference and said, oops, my bad. You got shot in the face and you say my bad. It was my mistake. This is a Cheney. It's like for us as Democrats, it's a Kennedy, right? Or 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 Clinton. The name resonates throughout the party. Those folks in Wyoming said, "We don't want that," and they fired her. Now, whether or not they should have fired her compared to the other chick is irrelevant. That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is, do you see the power 
in our votes? That's the point I want to make. You, anybody, anytime anybody talk about my vote don't matter, my vote don't count, did you see what Wyoming did? They voted out a legend. They all got together. She won two years ago that primary by 70 plus points. She lost it by 30 points. Every vote matters. Every vote counts. All we have to do, and I know y'all get tired of me saying it, but all we really have to do is show up. Okay, you, you got 49, what was it, 89, 79 days left. Don't forget, you can register to vote up until the first week of October. I, you got to get that in. Register to vote and get to the polls. There are more of us than there are of them. There are more people who care about protecting a woman's right to choose. There are more of us that care about letting trans kids be trans kids. There are more of us that care about, you know, extending, creating more affordable housing, right? There's more of us. All we have to do is show up and we too can vote out every Republican we don't like. All right, that's Indiana's on Dana Black Turn Left. Uh, guess what? That means you're going to have two shows this week. And hopefully, I'll remember to plug in my computer. <laughs> I want to thank Zanae Brooks. And y'all, please, please, please click her Act Blue donate link. Find a way. $5. That's all. Sometimes it goes a long way. If you can volunteer, if you can give us some time. We don't have to do it every week. You have to do it every month. If you have one Saturday that you can help her out, making some phone calls or sending some emails, reach out to her and all of our statewide candidates. I still have Destiny Wells scheduled, and I'm working on getting Thomas McDermott scheduled. That one was a little bit tougher. He's got a real schedule. He's got a schedule that's just like, whew, he's tough. He's tough. But that being said, I'm so grateful that you guys had a little patience with me tonight, and I love doing this show. I hope you tune in on Thursday when I have two more guests that we can chat with. See, it's like an extra show. This was great. Remember when I was doing Turn Left Specials when the pandemic started? Just like that. Thank you, Zanae. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I will holler at you next time. Peace. Turn Left is the property of Black Pearl IT Solutions. Executive producer, Indiana's own Dana Black. Music by www.binsound.com. <laughs>